guys good morning afternoon night evening wherever you're listening to this podcast and welcome back to teachable psych so this week's short podcast since it is just with myself we'll talk a little bit about religion so i hope you guys enjoy today's episode and yeah i'll see you guys at the end hi guys so if you guys remember from last week's episode with the with a guest, um, Father Brian, we talked a little bit about how religion and psychology are interconnected. So for this week, I wanted to um, go in a little deeper, and I'll just give you guys a definition of religion, and then I'll read a short bit of an article f- um, published by American Psychological Association. So religion, it is a social and cultural system of designated behaviors and practices. Morals, beliefs, worldviews, texts, sanctified papers, prophecies, ethics, or organizations. That relates humanity to supernatural, transcendental, and spiritual elements. However, there is no scholarly consensus over what precisely constitutes a religion. So, uh, just reading off the article I found. Um, back to Sigmund some psychologists have characterized religious beliefs as pathological, seeing religion as a malignant social force that encourages irrational thoughts and ritualistic behaviors. Of course, psychologists' doubts and those of countless others throughout history haven't curtailed religion's power hold on humans. Religion has survived and thrived for more than a hundred thousand years. It exists in every culture with more than 85% of the world's population embracing some sort of religious belief. Researchers who study the psychology and neuroscience of religion are helping to explain why such beliefs are so enduring. They're finding that religion may, in fact, be a byproduct of the way our brains worked, going from cognitive tendencies to seek order from chaos to anthropomorphize our environment and to believe the world around us was created for our use. Religion has survived they surmised because it helped us form increasingly large social groups held together by common beliefs. If we're on the right track with this byproduct and the findings are really getting stronger, it's hard to then build the case that religion is a pathology, said psychologist Justin Barrett, director of the Cognition, Religion, and Theology Project in the Center for Anthropology and Mind at Oxford University. So, I don't know how many of you guys are, have, or are, in their own religion but christianity is one of the main three and it has always been i personally am christian so but i don't really know how at least for me how religion can affect how our minds work but i've had a few friends say that like um religion keeps us sane, which i think is true because it gives us this like reassurance that whatever's happening happens for a reason and that there's someone looking over us and that there's a plan laid ahead out for us already. So that's just what I think, but yeah. <laughs> so another article I found from American Psychological, Psycholo- Psychological Association is what role do religion and spirituality play in mental health? It says nearly 80% of Americans say they practice some type of religion, while approximately 20%, mostly younger people, say they do not. According to a 2012 Pew Research Center study, 
whether a person's religious, spiritual, or neither, the major influence religion has on American culture will be emphasized over the coming days with religious observances of Passover and Easter. Empirical studies of many groups dealing with major life stressors such as natural disaster, illness, loss of loved ones, divorce, and serious mental health show that religion and spirituality are generally helpful to people in coping, especially people with the fewest resources facing the most uncontrollable of problems. However, there are many forms of religious coping, and some are more helpful than others. People can draw on many religious and spiritual resources that have been tied to better adjustment in times of crisis. These positive religious coping methods include spiritual support from God or a higher power, rituals to facilitate life transitions, spiritual forgiveness, support from a religious institution or clergy, and reframing a stressful situation into a larger, more benevolent system of meaning. On the other hand, some forms of religions, religious and spiritual coping can be more problematic. Life events can shake and shatter people spiritually as well as psycholo- psychology, psychology, psychologically, socially, and physically. People may struggle spiritually with their understanding of God, with inner conflicts, or with other people. A growing body of research has linked these spiritual struggles to higher levels of psycholo- psychological distress, declines in physical health, and even greater risk of mortality. Thus, it is important for psychologists and other healthcare providers to be aware of the dual nature of religion and spirituality. They can be vital, vital resources for health and well-being, but they can also be sources of distress. So another thing is, how do psychologists and use religion and spirituality in clinical practice today? Among the various approaches, which do you feel are most effective and why? So Paragamut, which is a leading expert in the psychology of religion and spirituality, says that for many years, psychologists steer clear of religion and spirituality in clinical practice. That was perhaps because there's some history of religious antipathy among early psychology leaders, such as Sigmund Freud and B.F. Skinner, or perhaps because psychologists generally lack training in this area. Yet there are several good scientifically-based reasons to attend to religion and spirituality spirituality and practice. For many people, religion and spirituality are key resources that can facilitate their growth. For others, religion and spirituality may be sources of problems that need to be addressed in their service of their health and well-being. Surveys show that people would like to be able to talk about matters of faith and psychological treatment. Psychologists are ethically obliged to be respectful and attentive to the cultural diversity of their clients, and religion and spirituality contribute to our personal and social identities. Finally, emerging research is showing that spiritually integrated approaches to treatment are as effective as other treatments. There is, in short, good scientifically-based reason to be more sensitive to religion and spirituality in clinical practice. Psychologists are now developing and evaluating a variety of spiritually integrated approaches to treatment, including forgiveness programs to help divorced couples, divorced people come to terms with bitterness and anger, programs to help survivors of sexual abuse deal with their spiritual struggles, Treatments for women with eating disorders that draw on their spiritual resources and programs that help drug abusers reconnect to their higher selves. These programs are still in their early stages of development, but the preliminary results are promising. For psychologists unfamiliar with work in this area, I encourage them to put their toes in the water by simply asking their clients a question or two about their religion and spirituality. Most clients are had to talk about these issues by communicating their own interests in religion. Religion and spirituality, psychologists open the door to what 
may become a richer, deeper conversation. Another question is, what is the difference between spirituality and mindfulness or med- meditation? Are gratitude and forgiveness within a religious or a spiritual context different from the same virtues within a secular context? So psychology has begun to encompass and explore a number of exciting topics, meditation, forgiveness, acceptance, gratitude, hope, and love. Each of these phenomena has deep roots in Eastern and Western religious traditions and philosophies. Even so, researchers and practitioners have been careful to treat these processes as secular in nature. You don't have to be religious to meditate has become a mantra in the literature. Research on these aspects of life has begun to yield vitally important psychological and social insights with powerful implications for human change and growth, and yet something may be lost when these constructs are disconnected from their larger context. In this vein, some research has shown that mantra-based meditation to spiritual phrase is more effective in reducing physical pain than meditation to a secular phrase. Similarly, other studies have shown that spiritual forms of support, meaning, making, and coping predict health and well-being beyond the effects of secular support, meaning, making, and coping. It appears that religion and spiritually cannot be Spirituality cannot be fully reduced to or explained by how other psychological and social processes. Belonging to a religious congregation is now equivalent to belonging to the Kiwanis or Rotary Club. What makes religion and spirituality special? Unlike any other dimension of life, religion and spirituality have a unique focus on the domain of the sacred, transcendence, ultimate truth, finitude, and deep connectedness. Any psychology that overlooks these parts of life remains incomplete. And for the last question on this topic, what are some of the ethical issues that might confront psychologists who incorporate religion and spirituality in their patients' treatments? When it comes to religion and spirituality, no one is neutral. This general rule of thumb applies to atheists and agnostics as well as theists, as it applies to psychologists as well as their clients. Because religion and spirituality elicit deep feelings in people and because they speak to people's deepest values, practicing psychologists must be careful to approach these processes with knowledge, sensitivity, and care. Unfortunately, the large majority of practicing psychologists receive no training in religion and spirituality during their graduate and postgraduate education. This state of affairs has to change. Competent care rests on basic knowledge about religious and and spiritual diversity, understanding of how religion and spirituality are interwoven into adaptive and maladaptive human behavior, and skills in assessing and addressing religious and spiritual issues that arise in treatment. Competent care also grows out of self-awareness. Whether or not psychologists are personally religious or spiritual, or they share religious and spiritual orientation with the client, practitioners have to be aware of how their orientation might knowingly or unknowingly impact their client. They must also take steps to protect the client's decision-making, freedom, and autonomy. Open discussion with clients about the values that underlie treatment may be one of the most important ways to ensure ethical practice. It is also very helpful to consult with experts who represent different religious and spiritual traditions and different professional traditions. This can provide perspective and wisdom in dealing with the thorny value and ethical issues that can arise when addressing religion and spirituality in practice. Like I mentioned in my first couple um, episodes, I said at the end I'd have a fun fact, and for today we'll have two, one on religion and one on psychology. So for religion, as I said earlier, Christianity is the largest religion in the world with more than 2.4 billion followers. And an estimated 1.2 billion people around the world do not follow any religion. 
And today's um, fun facts on psychology, it's going to be mostly about the brain. So short-term memory can only store seven pieces of info for 20 seconds. The average human brain weighs three pounds and is made up of 73% water. Your brain as a computer could hold 2.4, two, sorry, 2.5 million gigabytes or 300 years of TV shows. And it is made up of 86 billion neuro- neurons. 96% of all decisions are subconsciously made. Neurons travel 150 miles per hour and it uses 20% of the body's total oxygen energy. And humans have an average attention span of 20 minutes, or our brain does. And the average human attention span is shorter than that of a goldfish. It is 12 minutes shorter than it was 10 years ago. Um, the brain starts slowing down at around age 24, and when intoxicated, the brain cannot form memories. And the brain generates between 12 and 25 watts of electricity, enough to power a light bulb. And the hippocampus helps transform short-term into long-term memories. Hi guys, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed today's um, episode on religion and that you enjoyed today's fun facts. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. And yeah, I'll see you guys next time. Bye.